Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh man, I'm so excited to be here. Listen, um, this is the first time I've done a talk like this, and this is my third time I've done it, because I did it at 9 o'clock, and then I did it at our other campus. Those were both amazing. So this talk better be equally as good, because uh, I've told everybody 11 o'clock is the best crowd in the whole church, which they didn't, they didn't like that. They didn't like that that much, but you know, you got to speak truth when you're behind this pulpit right here. You just got to speak truth. Uh, my name is Danny, and I am one of the pastors here at Kesson. Really excited that you're here. I do a majority of the speaking these days, and we're in a series right now. It's very close to my heart called One Crowded Hour, and the series is basically just kind of um, us together as a church talking about and listening to what Scripture talks about how we experience intimacy with God. And there's all kinds of different ways that we do that. Last week, we talked about how the primary way that people, uh, according to Scripture, experience intimacy, really the first step is, is worship. Uh, we talked about how worship is also described as praise and glory and honor. Anytime you hear that throughout uh, the Bible, praise and glory and honor, it's God calling upon his creation and upon his people to bring forth their worship. Uh, C.S. Lewis takes it a further step when he says the God of the Psalms is very much clearly identified as the all-satisfying object. How when you worship God, all the needs that you thought you had, when you give God the glory, praise, and honor that's due him, go away. Because when you are in full relationship with God, he is in full relationship with you, and you are all satisfied, and he is brought high. Uh, the message I will say last week was probably one of the best received uh, messages in terms of response that I've, that I've experienced. People just flooded forward telling us uh, how they just really felt like that's where they were and that's what God was doing. And some of it was tied to this building that we have. Uh, we're trying to, to, to move into a building that God has just given us uh, worth well over $2 million that needs a remodel but can't fit this many people. And people are excited and participating. And, and, and we move in ministries down there all the last few months. And it's just all kinds of neat things that God is unveiling that then has caused people to feel like uh, they're kind of on a mountaintop. They're, they're hearing how worship brings glory to God. And they're like, yes. That's my life. Every praise, every glory, every honor I want to give to God. And I connect so deeply with what Scripture calls for. And thank you, Pastor Danny, for the message and elders and church and Holy Spirit. And this was just amazing. And I left feeling pretty stoked. Because I thought, yes, God, you're doing stuff. You're making stuff happen. And then someone asked me, what are you going to preach on next week? And I had no idea. Now, I knew, I, hadn't, uh, I, I knew next week was unique. Because this week is the week that those of you who brought your cards. And those of you who are new, please excuse yourself from this, but those who brought their cards or call Kessed their home at the end of service, we're going to bring our Kessed Project cards forward with all of our prayers, all of our commitments, and we're going we're gonna to basically raise an offering uh, for God. And then we're going to use all of that in order to hopefully move in uh, on time in our building downtown. And, and so I knew I had that to do, but I really didn't know what else I was going to do with that. And I didn't want to pretend that that wasn't part of the service and just throw it in at the end. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do what One Crowded Hour has called us to do. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to spend some time with God, and I'm going to figure out what he brings and how he brings it. And so I did, and I waited, and I waited, and then I read an article, and then I read another article, and then I read another article that led me to a passage that now I'm going to talk about with you today that I think addresses something that is wonderfully life-bringing, but also a little difficult. See, for a lot of people in the room, as I was just sharing about what worship is and experiencing God is and how this mountaintop thing is so wonderful, there's a large group of you in here who are like, mm, 
That was me last week. I love it. But then there's another group of you. And you don't know right now if you're supposed to pretend that that didn't apply to you or if you're supposed to fake it and be like, yes, that's me. Not really. I just lied at church. (laughs) It's just wrong. Don't do that. Or if you're just supposed to be honest and go, yeah, that's not me at all. I don't feel him at all. I'm not connected to him at all. And frankly, this whole one crowded hour series has just reminded me about how lonely my crowded hours are without God. (laughs) (laughs) And those are the people that that I think we're going to talk to today. Now, the other folks, the reason this applies so well to all of us is because everybody in this room is eventually going to get there. I don't know how many of you are brand new to following Jesus, but just let, just, I just want you to know, Jesus lives on mountaintops, and he lives in valleys, and he lives in everything in between. And sometimes following Jesus requires you come down from your emotional high and your big, giant experience and all of your beauty to stuff that's really, really hard. And so today, inside a passage that, that really meant a lot to me, I was ministered to, I didn't uncover, but I was ministered by it and for it, and now I want to deliver it. I hope on behalf of God and, and uh, his word to you. We've talked a lot about worship. We've talked a lot about what it means. We've talked even about how worship is embryonic. It's built inside your DNA to do it. That's why it's so very satisfying. And as we did so, all kinds of different people, as I said, came forward and said, that's me. But a lot of other people came forward, actually, and said, you know what, that's not me. As I studied, I came across a passage in 1 Peter. That's where we're going to be today. 1 Peter, we're going to start in verse 3 and walk ourselves all the way through verse 9. And the reason we're going to start in Peter is because Peter, uh, for so much of the Bible, is our church expert. Now, I've taught this many times before, and I'm going to continue to teach this, that when pastors are preaching, the only thing that matters that pastors do well is articulate what the Bible's already saying. Okay, they're not there to articulate new things. They're not there to suddenly have something that they're like, oh, by the way, this verse means this, or it could mean this. No, it means what it means when it says what it means. And the way you know it says what it means is when it's verified or validated by other verses. So Peter's important. Why? Because we as a church are embarking on a brand new mission. We're trying to figure out what God is doing with our body and how he wants to develop us. And we're excited and we're passionate. And there's all these amazing things happening and buildings being given and debt being paid off and money being raised and people coming to Jesus and marriages being saved and discipleship being had. You know, we've taken over 300, I think it's 330 people through Rooted, 10-week discipleship classes that people paid to go through. Over 300 adults have gone through Rooted. Who does that? Especially in the Northwest, nobody pays for anything. (laughs) Nothing. Right? And then we told people we're going to do a Bible study, and it's 10 weeks, and you can't miss more than two, and it's 50 bucks a head. And our church was like, sign me up. I was like, it's, it's just who we are. And it's all kinds of exciting things. And the reason we want to talk about what Peter has to talk about is because of what Jesus said earlier about Peter. Quite simple, Matthew 16, 17, speaking with Peter, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's talking to Peter. And I tell you, verse 18, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Scripture validates Scripture, which means Jesus said Peter's going to build the church, which means Peter's life, Peter's words, Peter's countenance, who Peter is. He's going to be a part of building the kingdom, of building the church, the church that lasts far beyond any one single lifespan. Which means when we go forward, about 30 years, when Peter is being talked about and, and being spoken about in the book of 1 Peter, and he talks about the church, we're supposed to listen. 
Jesus says Peter's going to build the church, and then Peter talks about the church. Because Jesus said Peter's going to help build the church, when Peter talks about the church, we listen. So therefore, when you have issues with, with life and what's going on, Scripture will tell you who to go talk to, who to read, who to spend time with. It talks about men and women of wisdom. It talks about what their lives look like. You can look at someone's life, look at the Bible and go, wise, I have questions about my life, my marriage, and my situation. You can look at someone's life and go, not wise also known as fool, based on scripture. Not because I don't like you. It's not, it's not personal, man. It just says that you slander people, you drink way too much, you're in huge debt, and, uh, and, and all your friends are shallow. It's not personal. It's just what scripture says. So I don't want <laughs> to ask you any advice about marriage and life because, well, apparently you're a fool. That's what it says, right? So when we want to know stuff about our church, we go to the guy who God said, is going to build the church. And this is what Peter says. He starts off dealing with all you in the room who are on that mountaintop, planting your flag for Christ. Wind blowing in your beautiful long hair. Some of you no hair, but wind still blowing. <laughs> Sided for Jesus. That's what it says. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off right away, and you know the whole church said, Amen! Amen. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The very first thing he does is recognize the very first thing all mountain climbers do when they get to the top. And that is look out at the surrounding landscapes and realize how small they are. Every single person I have ever in my life met who truly had a transformational experience with Christ did it from a place of incredible mercy when they realized how broken they were and how beautiful he was and how he forgave their brokenness anyways. And so what does he say? Blessings be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Everybody in the church in this place, all throughout Asia Minor, went, amen. I'm broken. I need God. He chose me anyways. I climbed to this mountain and look how small I am in the midst of all this. This is amazing. He goes on to say, this person, this God who has brought great mercy has caused us to be born again. This is the new life that we as new Christians are called to live out. And when we're born again, we get to live through the living hope of Jesus Christ, which is proclaimed through the resurrection of him on the cross, and then coming obviously back to life and proclaiming over all of us that death is defeated. He addresses all of you. It's perfect. It's awesome. This is your verse, overly happy people. He then describes exactly what it is you're happy about. He says, that we have an inheritance that is, listen to these words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, go back one more. He says that your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He says no one can ever take it from you. You've reached the mountaintop. You've seen the Savior. He's transformed your lives, and you will never be the same. And everyone proclaims with the angels, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Right? And the, the choir comes, and the wind blows, and everyone goes, unbelievable. And we sit there, and then we realize, can I live here? There's no food up here. There's no nourishment up here, and there's hardly any other people up here. And then we look back down at our ordinary, everyday lives, full of trial and struggle and pain, and we say, nah, we stay up there, right? And slowly over time, we become, if we're not careful, people who proclaim the mountaintop is the only place you should live. We become like so many Christians who read verses like this and say, my inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and who live on this mountaintop uh, desire 
and never want to come down. As a matter of fact, they usually leave churches when they start to come down or their, or their facade starts to crack and they go find a new church that can bring a new mountaintop experience or a new wife or a new husband or a new family or a new career, something new. Why? Because they're not living a life of worship. They're living a life of personal exaltation. When you live a life of worship, God is meeting all your needs, and you have more than enough to overflow out for all the people around you. So you don't mind going back down the mountain, because that's where Jesus went, and you're called to be like Jesus. But when you are not in a true place of worship, but instead you are in a true place of self-righteousness, you will proclaim your gifts unperishable, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which means anyone in your life, including yourself, who's fading or who's defiled or who's perishable is worthless to you and your cause. It's a quick heart check. It's not even in the notes. If you're doing that on behalf of the Holy Spirit, stop it. Okay? You have no calling to do that. There is no scripture that says you are to live that way. It says experiencing God feels that way. And it does feel that way. And as Peter's building the church, he immediately addresses what it also eventually will lead into in verse 6. He says this to those same people. To those people in the room right now who are struggling, to those people in the room who maybe you've had so many highs and lows, you don't even care about being on the mountaintop anymore because you know it's just going to result in another low. This is what he says. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Okay. In this, go back to the other verse if you would, please. Verse 5. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. What is it that you are rejoicing in for uh, second half of verse 5? Uh, what is it you're rejoicing in for a little while? The undefiled portion. Put up the undefiled portion of verse, uh, sorry, but I'm not going to let this go. Uh, this is not in my notes, but there's about 30 of you in here that need to hear this. So what are you rejoicing in for a little while? You're re rejoicing in your inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's what you're rejoicing in for a little while. Go to the next verse, five, and the next verse, six. This is, this verse six this verse 6 is referring to the stuff that I just told you about that's mountaintop that absolutely will fade. That's why you only rejoice in it for a little while. Because it's awesome to be on the mountain, but nobody's having babies up there. Right? Nobody's raising kids. Right? Yeah. It's deep thought. Deep theology here at Kessa today. Just slow down. Drink it in. It's all recorded so you can go back if you just want to build like a whole college course out of just this specific sermon. Okay, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, because it's going to fade. If necessary, here's where real life hits. You have been grieved by various trials. Next verse. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in, ready? Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we talked last week about mountaintop worship, and it is true. We serve a God of unending pleasures who calls us to get to the top of the highest peaks of experience that we can because this world communicates only in high peaks. Be a celebrity, be rich, be happy, be skinny, be anything but that which you are. So God says, absolutely, get to the top and say, listen, your pleasures are absolutely fading. Your pleasures are absolutely perishable. Your pleasures are worthless. But God, his mountaintops are imperishable, unfading. They never change. So yes, we go there, and yes, we proclaim him, and yes, it is worship. But these things are only for a little while, Peter says in our church community, for we eventually will come down and be tested in the genuineness of our faith. We will have to walk out what we proclaim on that mountaintop. 
We will have to go down into the valley and tell people about that God we met and the mountain ranges beyond our view and the way in which we got there and the struggles along the way. We will have to live our lives down inside the real life calling that God has given us. And he says that that calling looks like praise and glory and honor because of Jesus who is more precious than gold. And it also is worship. We said last week that worship is not a thing, it's a way of being. Worship is not a thing, it's a way of being. That's Dr. Larry Sheldon. Worship is not a thing, it's a way of being. Doesn't that mean that sometimes in order to worship, you have to be struggling? You have to be brokenhearted. You have to be sacrificing. You have to be coming down from a place that you love to be at because everyone else looked up at you and you kind of, from, from, from a real far distance, you kind of look like Jesus himself. I mean, you're up there. I'm assuming he's up there. I'm down here. And you go, well, I'm not Jesus, but I do kind of look like Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I'm not Jesus, but when you're way down there and I'm way up here, I probably do look like Jesus. Right? And we don't want to come down and walk low and tell people, look, I struggled. I followed my wife on the way to church today. What? I'm surprised you even ate today, let alone fought with your wife, Pastor Danny. I thought you would have fasted the first 48 hours. And I'm like, no, we fought because she didn't make me any food, actually. That was the problem. <laughs> broken. It's a broken marriage. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to come down off the mountaintop and have people proclaim that what Peter's saying is true. That yes, it is undefiled and yes, it is imperishable. But when we only worship and praise God for those things because that feeling lasts a short while. And eventually we come down the mountaintop and eventually we receive the truest inheritance. Which is bringing glory and honor to God in our everyday lives. Hmm. God is never more pleased, John Piper said, with us than when we are pleased with him. We talked about that last week. But what happens when pleasing God involves bringing upon ourselves the displeasure of other people? What happens when God says, go down into the valley, and people say, no, I don't want you to go down into the valley. Stay up there. I need something to worship. And if you reveal to me that you struggle, if you reveal to me that, that you're broken, then I'm, I'm going to lose heart because I maybe a little bit worship you. Or what happens when we say we want to live on the mountaintop and God says, great, we're going to switch mountaintops. We're going to go through a valley and come to a new place. And that means going by people who live a different lifestyle than you, who then proclaim that you on your way to the mountaintop, just by the essence of your climbing up high, are proclaiming their lives down low are less than. You're like, no, I'm not proclaiming your lives less than. I just want to go up there. Oh, because up there is better than down here. What happens when pleasing God doesn't feel pleasing to you. We said that, it, that, that, that God is never more pleased than when we're pleased in him. So this is what happens often to so many people. They get that in their mind. They come down from the mountain. They begin to feel the displeasure of the world around them, either because they're making different choices or because they're on their way to another mountaintop experience and the world says, oh, you're trying to say you're better than us. And so they don't feel pleased. And then in that place right then, they're attacked by the enemy and by the world. And they immediately think, well, because I don't feel pleased, God must not be pleased in me. Because God is most pleased when I'm pleased with him. And I don't feel pleased. I feel like this world is in deep displeasure with me. I feel like as this church grows, people who hate churches hate me more. I feel like as people come from other churches and come here, maybe the other churches hate me more. The more God does, the, 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 the less I really want to be a part of it sometimes. 
Do you know last week during Main Street's church, there was a church in town, uh, um, Pastor Brandon from Rhapsody Church. Some people know him. Uh, he's over at the YMCA. Awesome guy. He asked me if he could do something during his service, and I said, sure. So I'm down at Main Street because I speak in between these two services, and he calls me during the service, which I knew he was going to do, but I didn't know what he was going to do. So I told Main Street, hey, this guy wants to call us. He wants to talk to you, Main Street people. And they're like, okay. So he calls during the service right on time. I stop my message. I answer the phone. I put him up to the mic, and I say, Brandon, it's Danny. And he goes, Danny, I'm here with our whole congregation. I go, yeah. And he goes, yep, I'm here to confess something, Danny. <laughs> he says, when you got that building, the first thing I thought of is, what's wrong with me? <laughs> right? And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, I just started thinking, I'm a church plant. I'm about the same age as you. This is in front of his whole church, right, as far as the church goes. And I started thinking, man, you know, what, what? he just said I had this struggle. I had a struggle inside me. And he goes, Danny, that's why I called you the day that it was announced, because he is the only pastor in town who's called me since our church was announced, the only one. He called me and told me how proud he was and how cool it was for the kingdom and how thankful he was. But he did that because of a check inside his spirit that told him inside he was wrestling with something else. So on behalf of his, in front of his church, he confessed that and, and said basically that uh, he's so happy and that he wanted to be a living example, a living example of how Jesus would handle such a situation. And then I was able to share with his church what a special pastor they have because, again, he, he, not that we needed to get phone calls, but he did take the chance and the step to call and, and congratulate us and pray with us and be excited for us. And so now you've got these two churches applauding over a cell phone and a microphone. Right? Like, yay, 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 we love you guys. It was, it was like Horton Hears a Who, but with, it was like, there's a whole group of people in here. It was cool, right? <laughs> it was really cool. And it was a really neat experience. And the way that it worked and the reason that it worked is because Brandon has intimacy with God and he recognizes what it means to, to, to shed what feels right to do what is right. Mm. We have to be people who shed what feels right because it only lasts a little while to do what is right. And sometimes pleasing God feels like the breaking of my heart. Sometimes Worshiping God feels like the tearing of, of my own soul because I a little bit want to be worshiped. I a little bit want to be the center of the universe. I a little bit want to be the one who saves. But when I worship God, no matter the lows or the highs, I proclaim to him that he is worthy both of my mountaintops and my valleys. He is worthy of it all. I took a step back when I came to this point in the message and I just waited. And I thought, man, this is... This is impacting me. So that means for the rest of this message to work, I'm going to have to finish the, the impacting that God wants to do. Because you, you just can't force it. You can't force the ending. So I waited. I made a couple phone calls. I prayed. I thought about some stuff. And I ended up with two different things that happened in my life that I'm going to share with you now anonymously because I think a few of those folks are here. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God, this is not happening. It's not happening. But I'm going to share it because I really felt that, uh, that I should. You see, <laughs> this is the thing. When you decide to follow God really, I mean really, when it becomes the core of who you are, uh, there's a cost that becomes associated with that. And I know that because I do full-time ministry. So I'm constantly having to get in the check like Brandon was to recognize the stuff inside me that I'm dealing with that I need to bring out, that I need to confess, that I need to work through, and the times when I, when I lose that. 
but I don't as often get to experience other people's wrestling. Uh, I experience the consequences for their wrestling, or I experience the questions about if I do this, it may cause wrestling, but I don't very often get to actually walk right inside to their thing and their story right then, because most people who are coming down from the mountain don't want to admit they're coming down from the mountain, right? Now, mountain dwellers and valley livers I talk to all the time. I'm struggling so much, tell me. I love my life. The people who are kind of coming down the mountain, they don't want to talk to you, but they're like, this is stupid. This isn't what it was supposed to be. You know, I'm going to go down there with all those people and try to pretend that, you know, it's just, it, they don't talk. But that's where the sermon was at, and so I waited. I waited, then I waited, then I ended up uh, remembering a meeting that I had a couple weeks back. I had a meeting a couple weeks back with a family in our church that is struggling to attend our church because to attend our church speaks against the lifestyle of the community they came from. Okay? To attend our church speaks against the lifestyle of the community they came from, which means every single Sunday they attend our church, they lose more and more and more of their community. Now, one of the specific men in the church, when I did this family gathering, uh, didn't talk a lot, but I could tell in his eyes had a lot to say. So when it finally came time for him to share, he spoke with incredible beauty and heartfeltness about what he was struggling. And he began to share things like, you know, going here means I lose this portion of my family. Going here means I lose this. Going here means I, this isn't working. See, when you change the valley that you're used to and you start to go, people naturally start to think, well, that means what you think we're doing is bad. They're not happy for you, at least according to his story. And so he was beginning to have to pay a cost that was touchable. It wasn't like a cost like, man, I'm going to have to give up like late nights on the computer or drinking, you know, when I shouldn't or doing these. It was like a real touchable, like, like I, could, I could lose my job. I could certainly lose my extended family. I could, I could I, there's a high chance I'll lose my parents. Like going here means I'm choosing not to be a part of what they're doing. And there was really nothing I could say to him or any of the rest of these courageous people other than just recognizing this, this spiritual experience they thought they had was now changing to something different. And so I, I did, for the first time in a long time, uh, what, I, what I think I should have done, because I don't always do what I think I should have done until afterwards when I'm pondering, and I'm like, man, I should have done that. I didn't do it. I just sat there, and I didn't say much of anything because I didn't have much to say because I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God wants you to walk away from your family to follow him. There's only God that can do that. And there are people that to follow God, you got to walk away from what you thought you were. And it's hard, harder than, than I could imagine. So I, I left it, and I think I was supposed to. I thought of him, so I called him, right? And he's for sure here right now, so he is tripping out at this moment. <laughs> he's like, mm, he is talking about me. Uh, uh, and, and I called him, and I just checked on him, and here's what's so amazing. Between that time and when I called this, this man, um, God had been continuing to work in his heart and awaken himself to him, so much so that it was like I was talking to a different person. I didn't tell him this, but I actually thought I got the wrong number. Because he was like, hello. And I was like, hmm, you know, must be faking it. Let's get through it. All right, man, tell me what's going on. He's like, no. I mean, there's no less cost paid. Hear me. There's just a different heart in paying it. Shared with me some stuff that I can't share here that he's, that he's dealing with, that he's walking out. And the tone is all I can share with you. And the tone was different because the tone was filled. The tone was, best word I can come up with, satisfied. Because God was unveiling himself to him without changing any bit of his circumstance. He's still descending into the valley. 
But when you realize you're descending on your camping trip with God, it's like a whole different valley experience. Like, I didn't know you were coming. This is awesome. Where are we going? We're going into the valley. Sounds good. It's a whole other experience than God on the mountaintop saying, I'll see you over there. All right, this is not. Okay, over there. You're going to go over there and I'm going to go down there. And you don't realize God's like, no, I'm, I'm going with you. I'm with you all the way. So this happens, right? This happens. I got it. Got the end of my sermon. I'm like, oh, that didn't, I didn't even mean for that to happen. I was just thinking about him, checking on him, and it happened. Wrote it down. Thought, this is what people need to hear, that it's not about worshiping at the mountaintop. It's about worshiping anywhere. God is worthy of it all. And when we take him with us, brilliant. I'm sitting there, and I told him these words. In short, God's going to use your story to do great things. Okay? Then, little while, I'm going through Starbucks with my wife to buy her a Starbucks because I am what is known as, I've told her this, a hottie, husband of the year. Right? I buy her those things. I, every time I buy her a Starbucks, I try to write hottie on it. Right? Husband of the year. Yeah, that's, who, that's who you're married to. I just want you to realize. Let me buy you a Starbucks. So I buy her a Starbucks, and I'm sitting in the Starbucks, and I don't know if any other men have had this happen, but while I'm in the Starbucks with my wife, another woman walks up and starts tapping on my window. Anybody else experienced that before? Is that, is that just me? Okay. So I'm with my wife, and I know exactly who this is. It's a lady from our church who might be here. And I roll down the window, and she says, she says, I was praying in my car looking at the Starbucks line when you pulled up. Can you come talk to me for a minute? I said, Sure. She says, you may get your coffee, right? So we continue on. <laughs> we get our coffee. I pull up behind her truck. I jump out, and I walk up to her window, and she shares with me, no exaggeration, the exact same story. She's going to our church, and because she's going to our church, she's losing a community, including her parents. Her parents. And she had received a text or something that was a note that was discouraging, and she was praying in her car how to respond when the guy looking for the end of his message pulls up in front of her car, and then she figured, well, I'm just going to get out and tap on his window. <laughs> and so we were able to talk, and I was able to share, ready, parts of the other guy's story with her. And she's in a different spot than he, she is because it's still happening and it's still new. But by the end of our conversation, she says, all I want to know is how I can love them and how I can show them who Jesus is. These people's faith, my friends, are costing them something. And they are experiencing the incredible joy of proclaiming it to God as worship, bringing it before him, bringing it before him in every single aspect of how they live, both on the mountaintops and in the valleys. And they are bringing it and they are blessing each other and they are blessing you now. There's now 700 people in our church that have heard this story. All anonymous. 700 people now that are encouraged because someone was willing to pay a cost to follow God even when it didn't feel good. Now, because it's important to tie verses in and make sure that we understand what it means to, to bring forward uh, all of the text and all of the consideration, allow me to pour over you Romans 12.1. Considering these people, and the call that God has put on some of your lives, Romans 12, 1, I'd appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the, there's the word, mercies. We just talked about it, right? We just talked about it. By the mercies of God, the great need for God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is it. Take it to the bank, which is your spiritual worship. 
when we proclaim God good in the bad and in the beautiful, when we proclaim him good in the struggle and after the beautiful song, well, both of those things to God in his economy are worship before him. And he meets us and he greets us and he fills us with his presence and he makes us whole and he brings us to the next place. And that next place is unknown. I don't know if yours is going to be high. I don't know if yours is going to be low. I don't know how fast these folks are going to get out of this valley they're in or if they've got years and years of valley life ahead. I don't know. I just know that I serve a God who says, if you're willing to sacrifice your hopes and dreams in exchange for his, who are, which is better, then God will fill your present life and you will be a living, one crowded hour life of worship. And if you and I can do that, then our parents will be broken down by love. Our families, our communities, all these people that are watching us, they will see that we love them. They will see that we cherish them. They will see that we have grace for them. And they will see the mercy in our eyes because of the mercy that was shown for us. And we will shine brightly in the darkest place. And we will walk steadfastly in the murkiest valley. And we will stand humbly on the highest mountaintop. And we will be like Jesus, for there was not one single thing that has ever existed or ever will exist that is more beautiful than the beautiful and the broken picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. Think about this body that's perfect, this soul that's perfect, never has committed a sin. There's not been a more beautiful thing ever to exist. Without blemish was the Lamb. And he is drug forward, stretched out on a tree that, have you ever thought about this? The tree that cross was nailed to, he grew as the creator. He nurtured the seed and watched it break forth. For however many years it took to become strong and big and beautiful out in the sunlight, his son that he created, from his land that he created, receiving the rain that he created, was eventually knocked down honed into being, stretched out, and then the Savior who made that tree, the beautiful God who created the beautiful tree, was nailed, pierced, bleeding, and thrashed upon it, broken and ugly and devastated. There is no better picture as that cross is raised up, my church family, than the beautiful and broken sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, according to Scripture, both of those things brought worship. Both of those things bring worship. His perfection and his taking on of my sin story. Because it's never just my sin, right? That's a whole other message that we're going to do sometime. But it's my sin story that he took. It's all of it. He took all of it. He took the nails and the thrashings, and the beatings, and the floggings, and he took the cursings, and then he poured forth out of his mouth love, and forgiveness, and grace. He was both embracing the beauty and the brokenness of man, as he was the greatest example of that beauty and brokenness to ever live. And that is why we participate with him in this gathering, and that is the message we bring to people, and that is why it is through your beauty and your brokenness that you and I can bring whole worship to God whether it is mountain or valleys, rain or sun, snow or desert, we can proclaim that he is worthy of it all. And that's why we do communion. To participate in that salvation story. 
to remember his blood and his body that was broken, to consume it, to become part of it. And that today is why I didn't want us just to bring our Kesed Project cards. Because today we're not just, we're not just looking for money. We're not just looking for, for assets. We're, we're looking for people who want to participate in the story of our church, whether it is high or low. People who are willing to pay a cost, like those beautiful families that go here in spite of the pressure to not. People who are willing to come forward and participate in the blood and body of Jesus Christ and also to give minimally of their prayer. There shouldn't be a person in this room who feels embarrassed to come forward if you believe in God to lay a card down. Just mark prayer. We need the prayer more than we need anything else. And so today we're going to close our service doing this thing we've never done before. And we're going to do it first by having our elders and our pastors and their wives go first with their cards. And then they're going to stand behind the table. You guys can come up now. And they're going to serve you communion. And as the worship team comes out, we're going to sing a song that I've been listening to maybe 70, 75 times this week, 15 times just on the way to church today, called Worthy of It All. And what I want you to do is I want you to first, if you feel led by God to come down and receive communion. Come down and receive from pastors, elders, and their wives the cup and the bread. Go back to your seat. Don't take it. I'm going to come back up. We're going to take it together. And then for those of you who feel led to, uh, to give a card, minimally prayer, and if you feel like God wants you to participate financially in what he's doing in our church, bring your card down. Set it in the basket like our elders and pastors and their families are doing. Be a part of this with us. Together, whatever God does, it's going to be more amazing than anything we could do by ourselves. And so take your time. Prayerfully consider what it means to be a part of a church, to be a part of a body, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. So take your cards down, put them in the basket, receive the bread and the juice, go back to your seat, then I'll come back up and I'll pray for us. We'll take it together and then we'll close. Let's pray for this time. Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to just bring forward an offering to you. I thank you, God, for an opportunity to raise our beauty and our brokenness in front of you and know that neither one is unacceptable, that both to you, God, are worship. I thank you for the families who are sacrificing to be a part of this community, both relationally, financially, prayerfully, through serving. I pray, God, that this time would do nothing but bond us together, bring us closer to your will as we climb together inside the home you've built for us. I thank you, Father. We proclaim all of this to you and you alone because you are worthy of it all.
crowns before the Lamb of God and sing. And all the saints and angels, they bow before your throne.
took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we present this offering to you. These songs, these lives, these hands, these hopes, these dreams. We recognize, Lord, that you are behind it all, that you are working through it all, that you are working in spite of it all, and that you are worthy of it all. I ask, Lord, that across our church community there would be an awakening to the intimacy that you so desire to have with each of us, that we would all spend one crowded hour at least once in our life, God, proclaiming you above all else and experiencing your presence and your purpose. For, Lord, if we can do such a thing, it will change every other hour of our existence. I thank you, Lord, for this place. I thank you for these people. I thank you for their stories. I thank you for their sacrifice. And, God, I ask that it brings glory to you and honor to you and praise to you. 